Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Badass Podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. This is Badass Beyond Season 2. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me, as always, is Sean Murphy. How are you doing, Sean? Dude, so I was at San Diego mm-hmm. with you and my wife. Yeah. And uh, we were on, what, 14th floor or something? Yes, and, I uh, think so. Getting down, when everyone tries to leave a hotel at the same time, for us, all eight elevators were jammed. Yeah, so you'd wait yeah. five minutes, a door would open, and it's just a mob of people. So you're like, I'll wait for the next one, I'll wait for the next one. So finally, a uh, door opens up, and uh, a woman inside yells, there's too many people, you can't come in. <laughs> and I look at the front of the elevator, and I see Jim Lee. Uh, oh, really? And he's quite a bit shorter than everybody else and he's got his hand in his pockets like he's terrified of all the people behind him mm-hmm. because someone like him you know gets recognized very easily um keep in mind too he is my boss and he knows me and i know him and we lock eyes and jim's like all right sean come on we got space get in here <laughs> so i kind of hesitantly go towards the crowded elevator and the woman who yelled at starts yelling at jim she's like oh thanks now i feel like a fucking asshole and uh, so I get in, and Jim and I are at the front, and this is like it's like an ep- it's like a cartoon. Him and I face forward, and the door slowly shut, and Jim and I are like facing the metal with the crowd behind us. And this woman just keeps badgering Jim. She's like, you know, it's really busy, and I can't believe he did that. And now I feel like a jerk. And Jim turns around halfway, and he's like, "There's room in here for one more. People have to go down." And he sort of lays it out. And I look at her. I'm like, "He's my boss. If he tells me to get on the elevator. What am I gonna do?" <laughs> so uh, as we go down I'm thinking wait a minute clearly he's hanging out with these people they're just fucking with him because who yells at a perfect stranger like this you know like these are all people that are with Jim sure so I start to relax so we get to the bottom elevators open and uh, Jim's like alright man I'll see you later he takes off he's not with those people <laughs> it's just some random woman screaming at Jim Lee and the irony of the story if there is any is the bag she was carrying was a Jim Lee bag. Yes, it was filled course, with yeah. Jim Lee artwork. <laughs> it was the bag that the convention gives out as uh-huh. like backpacks for people. And uh, I just, I don't know what kind of justice there is in the world, but for Jim Lee, there ain't none. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must have missed that. I think I left. I Was that when you were leaving for the on Sunday? One of the many times. Yeah, yeah one of the many times. I, I thought I told you uh, at the show, and I'm like, dude, I got a great opener for our podcast. I had a good Jim Lee story. I'm sure you did, but that was like two months ago at this point, which, uh, you know, yeah. we're sorry it's been so long between seasons, but uh, but things yeah. things get busy in the off season. But, uh, and yeah. we will talk about San Diego and Red Hood at the end of this podcast. Sure. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're back. On with batman beyond season two this is a longer season than the last one the last one was only uh 13 episodes this one is 25 so we'll get a few more episodes out of it here um nice. but the uh the first episode today we'll be talking about splicers and earth mover and i'm pretty excited to talk about both of these for for different reasons but uh we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back with splicers They call it splicing, the new high-tech teen rage that has taken Gotham's youth by storm. But outraged parents and lawmakers call the use of genetic animal augmentation a crime against nature. Some say it's a matter of choice. Splicing is like establishing myself as an individual, you know, just like all my friends. At the center of the controversy is the director of the Chimera Institute, Dr. Abel Cuvier. I want to assure everyone that splicing is safe reversible, and more importantly, utterly beautiful. 
I was the first test subject, and as you can see, I'm perfectly fine. Perfectly creepy is more like it. Him and that whole splicing fad. This is no simple fad. Something bad will come of this splicing. Something we'll most likely have to clean up. Okay, Splicers, directed by Kirk Gaeta and written by Evan Dorkin and Sarah Dyer. Evan Dorkin, uh, the name jumped out at me from the screen because I know him as a comic artist, but I, the only thing I know him from is uh, Milk and Cheese, which is a comic that I saw everywhere in the 90s but have never actually read. You know, I feel that way about Zot, Z-O-T. Oh, I don't know that one. Uh, I used to dive into the long boxes looking for Zorro as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I get to the Z and there was no Zorro, but there's plenty of fucking Zot around. Yeah, um, I don't know yeah. Zot. Yeah, I'll get up later. Yeah. <laughs> milk and... I'll tell you what it's about. <laughs> I just know that he doesn't have a sword. Milk and Cheese occupied that same space in my mind as a uh, young comic book collector as I think. I think it was a little bit more prevalent than Scud the Disposable Assassin. But it was mm, kind of the yeah. same place where it's like, you know, Image Comics is is independent comics. And then you're like, no, there's other stuff that's more independent than Spawn. It's not really as independent as they make it sound. Like Milk and Cheese and Scud and I assume Zot, whatever that is, is a little bit more independent. But Milk and Cheese was all over Wizard. I remember seeing them all over Wizard. And, yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah, but it was not something I ever read because, I don't know, I guess I didn't find anthropomorphic dairy products that interesting <laughs> yeah i just sent you a picture of the cover of zot exclamation point um i think it might be is, is it a scott mcleod comic uh getting it wrong whatever uh but yeah uh, does that look familiar at all or is it too low grade uh what did you send it to me on oh, i just uploaded it onto the uh the discord here oh i'm not seeing it i'll just look it up real quick uh oh uh Oh, no, that does not look familiar at all. All right. Well, y- yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, huh. but uh, I'm with you. I remember technically, yes, Image Comics is indie comics, but come on, right? Yeah, Image you Comics I mean? is Image Comics is indie comics. The way Sam Adams calls themselves an independent brewery, and it's like, come on, you guys are like the biggest. You're like number three on the entire East Coast. You're not a you're not a craft brewer anymore. Yeah, you know, you mean. Uh, <laughs> Indie comics didn't have uh, uh, government workers to pressure and lobby the government to change the official definition of microbrew to include a billion dollar company uh-huh. like Sam Adams. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which yeah. is sold in like international. I go to fucking Paris and I see Sam Adams on tap. Craft brewery, man. Microbrewery. So yeah. it's a local small did, company. I think legally they did change the lobby. They, sorry, they did change the rules of what is considered a microbrew because back in the 90s there was like eight. And Sam right, Adams is right. one of them. Now there's like a thousand, and Sam had to fight to remain all folksy. If you're in Boston and you listen to like terrestrial radio at all, you remember those Sam Adams commercials where they're like very folksy and it's uh-huh. like, oh, j- gosh, shucks, I'm just Sam Cook. I'm just this regular guy like you working in a brick building. Mm-hmm. And they kind of sell you on that bullshit. But if you know what you're talking about, you know that they're a very wealthy organization. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got to keep up appearances to, to sell your crap. Not not and a same Adams myself, but neither. They also on the commercial show the same guy with a giant red beard near these copper uh, vats, you know, 
And I'm sure that's where they might have started <laughs> making the beer. But there's like a hermetically sealed facility somewhere in the Midwest at this point. Yeah. Like it's it's yeah. not like your great grandfather's brewery like they want you to believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Man, well, you and I are not fan of Sam Adams, huh? No, you know, I don't know. I just never, you know what the thing is with Sam Adams for me? It's every one of their beers tastes exactly the same. Like it has the same base or something to it. And I just do not like the taste of that base. So it's yeah. not, I'm not a fan. And also yeah. for all of the other reasons that we just listed off. But uh, yeah. what I am a fan of, segue, is uh, this episode Batman. of Batman Beyond, Splicers. I think we're off to a pretty good start, at least as far as I'm concerned. Um what happens in this one is a new body modification trend called splicing, combining human DNA with that of animals, is taking Neo-Gotham's fashion world by storm. While the DA wishes to have it completely outlawed as it is causing a rise in aggressive behavior, Dr. Abel Cuvier, Cuvier, I don't know how it's pronounced. He's fake. It doesn't matter. The creator of the process insists that the procedure is safe. However, Batman soon discovers that Cuvier is up to no good as he is working towards attacking the DA in hopes of silencing him. Actually, mm, that yeah. tangent about Sam Adams, not entirely uh, irrelevant to what we're talking about because this is also about a big businessman trying to <laughs> trying to stop the government from, uh, sh- from getting in, in the way of what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. Hey, side note, too. Barbara is married to the DA. Isn't that kind of a conflict of interest for both of them? I don't... Uh, yeah, you would think it might be. I don't know how yeah. that works. I don't know what the deal yeah. is with that. If, if the DA has to work with police to get approval for X, Y, and Z, and his wife runs the police department, I feel like in real life, he should resign. <laughs> Not that he did anything wrong, but if you really love this woman... You want to have everything nice and separate and you yeah. know, separate separate powers of government, whatever, you know, then you really can't be married to her. Yeah, that's a really good point. I never thought about that. Is this? The, I can't remember yeah. if this is the first time. I don't think it's the first time that they've shown that those two are married, but I can't remember. So they are, we've seen them before, I think maybe in the Mr. Freeze episode, because I made a comment about Barbara's interracial marriage and how oh, sure. it was cool. <laughs> um, sure. But I don't know if we knew he was the DA. Yeah, of course. I'm going to notice the racial stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, this woke Batman Beyond. Can you believe it, folks? I can't believe it. They moved it into the future. Nobody can relate to the future. No, uh, I will say they did call a few things. They call the people that aren't splicing norms, mm-hmm. which is kind of like us calling people who aren't into comics normies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple other things, too, where I was like, oh, yeah, they, they kind of predicted the future here. Well, it's it's funny because I was kind of part of me was kind of hoping that this was going to go a bit of a different. I knew it wasn't, but my part of me was kind of hoping it was going to go a different way because as soon as I saw all these news reports about your kids are in, a, there's a new fad taking over the teens. It's called splicing. What it means for your son, and I was like, well, these things usually aren't a as bad as people seem to think they are Mm -hmm. and be as widespread as they claim it's usually just you know scare journalism but obviously you can't i mean you could do that but it wouldldn't be as interesting as actually having Mm -hmm. a a, uh an evil scientist turning people into animal monsters but uh there's a bit difference here than uh like eating tide pods and stuff well that's probably just as dangerous well i just it's (laughs) i i found it i found it so funny because uh when when bruce is like grumbling about watching the stuff on the news grumbling about it the first thing i thought was like come on grandpa you know this isn't as bad as you think it is you're just you're just out, you're just out of the times man you're out of touch <laughs> but well, he uh, thinks it's the next vaping you know he thinks that this is a ma- major plague for right, children right 
Which um, vaping might actually have been, honestly, or cigarettes for that matter. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I, you're probably right. I don't, I don't have the numbers on that, but yes, most, most likely. Um, but like you said, a lot of the, like the scare of D and D and all that shit back at the, there's all kinds of things that parents get worked up about that end up being nothing. So maybe it could have been one of those things. Yeah. If fortunately, I, th- I take your point. Fortunately, I guess it's not because I guess it's more, it's a lot more interesting to watch, uh, a, a bull man voiced by Ice T fight Batman. So, <laughs> you know what I noticed about Ice T's voice? He only has one volume, yes, and one way of speaking. Yes. Can't change this if he possibly tries. Yes, I it was. I didn't catch it at first because I wasn't like looking for it. But then the sec the, the next couple lines he had, I literally said out loud, "Is that Ice T?" <laughs> yeah, when you hear that voice. You know he's going to be in the rest of the episode because Ice-T needs to get paid. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so this is a, this is a story about uh, a, a mad scientist slash businessman who is turning uh, impressionable youth into half-human, half-animal hybrids. This is yep. not the first time we've seen this mm-hmm. on Batman or, or right. Batman the Tiger, Animated Tiger. Series. Yep, Tiger, Tiger, yeah. and also um, technically... You know, the first episode, Man Bat on Leather Wings, is involved with oh, that. Yeah. Uh, and also Moon of the Wolf. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. I will say, I think I can pretty confidently say this is the best one of those episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, There's a few tweaks I would make to give it a five. Yeah. But to skip to the end, I am going to go four. But I'm also going to say, I mean, the last handful of episodes, I've given threes. And I feel like, all right. There is a, a such thing as a four in Batman Beyond. This has got to be it. I think a so, Batman too. Beyond four. This is different than a TAS four. Yeah, I, I agree. Mind, well, I also think it's what's what's interesting about it is I I kind of think they do. It's still pretty. It still feels short, but it didn't feel incomplete. Um, right. Because I think they did more with the time that they had, as far as like. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not specific plot, but just the way that they worked their way through the story and the ideas that they they presented were pretty interesting, right? Um, yeah, like the whole idea of this thing being a a fad that the kids are into is way more interesting to me and makes more sense, frankly, in a future setting than it did in yeah. Batman the Animated Series, where they're just some crazy guy turning Catwoman into a leopard lady for no reason. Right. So I actually thought of that too. Um, because one of the girls in this show was a, turned into a cat, and I thought, man, what if she escaped and she became Catwoman? Mm-hmm. For that matter, why don't you have a whole rogues gallery based on animals? Take a, a you splice a hyena into someone, and he's the Joker. You splice a I don't know jellyfish into someone, and he becomes Clayface or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, yeah, that, that that would be a cool that would that would be great as Batman Beyond villains. I think that would be make a lot of sense and be pretty cool. Yeah. This guy. And then we. I don't think we ever got an ending on Selena Kyle in this show, unless it's in Justice League, and I didn't catch it. Oh yeah, I don't know. I just, I. I don't even know. Does she show up in Batman Beyond? I don't think she does. Does she? No, I don't think she does. Huh. That's too bad. Yeah. But um, when we do a White Knight thing for her one day, we can get into it. Yeah, she will. Will turn everybody into actual animals. Or wrestlers, if you're writing it. Or wrestlers <laughs> who are actual animals. <laughs> I think that's redundant. Have you ever seen wrestling? They're all animals. Oh, that's, and that's unfair. That's why they're awesome. That's unfair. That's why they're awesome. 
Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of stylistic callbacks between those other episodes, and you know, Terry gets essentially literally turned into Man Bat. Um, yeah. But uh, what what I found actually really funny about this because the one the one story beat that kind of stood out to me that I wasn't I couldn't totally reconcile was how Bruce just had the fix for this ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I was like, oh well, I guess the argument is probably that this is very all very similar to those other three times he's dealt with this. <laughs> so he just yeah, assumes he's... that it's the same shit, and so he's got you know the what? antidote on hand. Yeah. If they had a line where he's like. I think this is my first time dealing with transmorphic bipedal human beings. Think again. Yeah, yeah. I'm I was su- that a bit. I was surprised that they <laughs> didn't throw something like that in there. He just he just like is ready with the dart gun. <laughs> there he comes. Yeah, on. yeah. I mean, considering how long it took them to find a vaccine for COVID, it's nice that Bruce can crack the code in ten minutes in his super sweet laboratory. Yeah, on, uh, yeah. How to how to cure this disease? I well, I want to know is what happens to all the other kids out there who have already been spliced. Are they are they just yeah. now half animal, half humans hanging out in high school? Like that well, one for that girl matter, at the could you just could you just get like a dart gun at CVS and go around and like de animalize the bully, the ram, the bully that's bothering you at school or whatever? Mm-hmm. Is that considered assault? Well, you take I, someone's right to be a half animal. I probably <laughs> yeah, honestly. I mean, it gets. I don't yeah. know if, how much uh, hard law has been passed and and litigated about the rights of half animal half human hybrids but i'm pretty sure jamming a foreign object into another human is always considered assault whether yes. your intentions are good or bad that's that's really or not. that's fair yes <laughs> I, I knew the answer before i said that I was just making a joke. <laughs> um but uh i i'm kind of i'm a little bit surprised i guess uh uh Col- Col- cuvier cuvier Col- I, I keep wanting to say culver but it's not it's cuvier um right. He doesn't show up again in the show. He showed up again, I think, once in the Batman Beyond comic. But uh, mm-hmm. I think I think they kind of might have dropped the ball a bit, like like you're saying. If he showed up with a group of animal human hybrid uh, Batman rogues yeah. villains, that would be pretty cool. That would be a cool another episode to do with him. Yeah, it could be a whole arc with that stuff. Honestly, um, starting with that Catwoman character or whatever. You know, um, going back to something you said before. Maybe the reason these episodes don't feel as full as seasons one, two, and three of the animated series, maybe it's because there's no subplot. There's nothing going yeah. on behind the scenes, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, what made me realize that was the reason I like this one is because there's a subplot about Terry not getting along with Ace. And by sure. Ace helping him sniff out the bad guy, they come to an understanding. And I thought, that's great. I wish they leaned into that a bit more and set it up at the beginning where. You know, Ace is always barking at Terry. He won't let him in. He's just having a hard time getting this dog to trust him. And finally, at the end, so you have an episode that's sort of essentially about a boy and a dog uh, in the end, or the heart of it anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. No, that would have been great. And I think they, well, that was one of the things I actually did like about this is I th- is because of that, the Ace stuff, because they yeah. use him in a way that was um, interesting and it was clever and it, it fit the tone of the story where... They're trying to track down these animals. Well, how do they track them down? Well, they have an animal there who can track, and yeah. uh, as as opposed to using like high tech gadgets and stuff. And that was that was the stuff that I liked. Is they just kind of took the concept and the environment that they had set up for the story and 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 mm-hmm. did a lot with it. Like I loved the fact that they were having a, the fight at the end was at a taxidermy museum. 
Yeah. So you've got all these other animals around and, you know, it makes it more difficult for, for Terry to track these guys inside because there's so much other crap around that, that looks like, yeah. I thought, I thought that was all very clever. I thought it was, it was well handled with the time and the space that they had. I couldn't, my brain in that scene was thinking, would I want to draw this or not? Would this be amazing to draw or would it just be a nightmare? Because yeah. I like drawing animals if I have the time. Pull out a picture of a wolf, figure out the lighting, boom, end of the day, nice wolf. But if you're drawing a wolf and a bear and a cheetah and everything in the same page, that seems like a lot. Yeah, yeah. You need to just kind of like relax and put on some nature sounds before you dive into that for the next day. Whatever the mix of like animal sounds and pure moods is, you know, <laughs> something with like a howl, a wolf, and a pan flute. I bet there's, you know, how they have those apps that that let you like program in your perfect. I I need to go to sleep. White noise, where it's like, yeah, you can put in thunder, but you can also like mix it so it's like more thunder and less uh, yeah. cricket sounds and stuff. They should, yeah, I'm sure they must so have funny. one for uh, animal noises. I tried one of those once. Uh, so I used to, I went to Brookstone back in the day in the mall. They have all this cool shit that mm-hmm. you know, no one needs, like all kinds of crazy massage chairs and sand and Zen gardens. Yeah. And I bought a uh, Sounds of the Rainforest on tape. Problem was, um, play it. It's got 25 minutes before you hear it click and you have to get up and turn it over and now you're awake <laughs> again, right? Yes. What made it worse is like the whole thing. It just sounds like someone set up a tape recorder in a tent in the jungle. And oh, it's fine. yeah. Yeah. But then there's this fucking bird that goes off side B. It was just like, just got right in the microphone and it would make me the fuck up every, every time. Nice. So when I discovered the app you're talking about, I'm like, oh, great. I can say less bird, less crickets, higher noise, <laughs> less cowbell, whatever. Um, but then I realized, wait a minute, I'm not actually listening to a real rainforest. I'm listening to like a digitized loop and it just doesn't feel as natural as I wanted it to. So I gave up on that. Album. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, well, I like the, um, <clears throat> I, I, the, when I was using one of those, I would program it mostly for rain. So it would be like yeah. some combination of, <laughs> I basically had all forms of rain going at the same time where it was like hard rain, uh, sleet, thunder, and the sound of water like trickling down onto a hard tin roof or something. And for some reason, that yeah. just that worked. Like the right mix right. of that worked for me. I don't know why rain yeah, works man. more than anything else. But then yeah. I kind of like got too um, aware of the machine. I think probably to the sort of the same way you did, where yeah. I was like, "This is really cool." It worked for like a month, and then I started spatially putting the sound in my phone. So I would have the thing. I know that doesn't make a ton of sense, but like I became aware of the the origin of the sound, and so I started focusing on that, which didn't allow me to relax. Mm. It was it was yeah. strange, but it was just like the fact that I knew yeah. that this was coming from just above my head on my headboard, as opposed to atmospherically surrounding me as it would in real life. It, it made it difficult to use. Yeah, you know it's funny. Um, I remember going to North Carolina convention with you. And we shared a hotel room. And that was mm-hmm. the first time I've shared a room with you. And uh, you had that sleep apnea device too, which, mm-hmm. you know, I might need to use one of, one of those myself someday for all I know. Um, but then I think you put on Sounds of the Rainforest or something. And oh, you were I? like, do you mind? I'm like, no, not at all, actually. And I'm like, oh, I'm learning a lot about play. He's more than about wrestling and horror movies. <laughs> he's, he's got a whole other side to him. I've got and a whole, remember... whole bunch of things wrong with me too. <laughs> And then I thought, 
man, it's like 2 a.m. and we're still talking about comics and giggling. And I thought this feels like some like 12 year old sleepover. Like I just never <laughs> thought that you were that guy. And I'm like, I've never seen Clay in such a funny, fun mood. Like you're always fun to hang out with, but you were just extra, I don't know, tickled that night. Just <laughs> sharing a room with your favorite artist. I don't know. Hey, man, it was my first time in North Carolina. I couldn't contain myself. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Um, speaking I'm of, I'm glad that you suggested the uh, sounds of the rainforest before I did because I was going to suggest that shit, but you did it first, so <laughs> that's when I knew we'd be friends forever. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad it worked. I'm glad that was the the, the bond you that asked, kept us together. Nice. And the, there's the scene you ask, so I slowly slide my tape back into my backpack so you don't see it. <laughs> sure, Clay, I, we can I, do that. I take out my CD and then you just smile and reach into your pocket and take out the exact same CD, and we just like nod. <laughs> And then we both cart complaining about the fucking bird yeah. at the same time. <laughs> oh, was that a parakeet? <laughs> um, so uh, the end of this episode, because we may as well jump mm-hmm. to the end, is uh, kind of a little bit of Akira, where uh, Terry jams all these different animal DNAs into into the Chimera guy and uh, totally. turns him into this giant, you know, blob monster. Um. Mm-hmm. Do you think Bruce would approve of Terry's methods in this episode where he basically yeah. murders a man? <laughs> yeah, he he doesn't know what all that's going to do. You're right. Yeah. It would be like Bruce turning up the venom in uh, Bane and watching his head explode. Yeah, to be fair, Bruce has done that with Bane, but he just got lucky and it didn't kill the guy. Uh, right. This one, it well, seems like, I don't know, it seems a bit more intense where he just yeah. turns into this giant walking cancerous tumor and then explodes like at the end of blade with with holes in him too uh and i can't decide if that was fun to animate or they got to that scene and they were like oh jesus christ i guess we're staying late tonight (laughs) uh were you were you afraid for ace when he gets uh swatted down and then grabbed by the monster yeah you know i was wondering how long how far they would take the dog violence because i know there's rules against that yeah. You know, I was kind of uh, going back to what you're talking about, the subplot. I, I was hoping he would have more to do at the end because when Terry, mm-hmm. I think that's I think we're both kind of queuing into the same thing where it's like there's there are the 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 crumbs of a really great Ace and Terry subplot, but they don't really do as much as they could because right. when they send them out, when he when Bruce sends him out with Ace, it that feels like the point. OK these two guys that don't get along they now have to work together and then once they get there terry's just like wait here i'll go handle it and then ace just sits because he's a good dog and uh waits until the end to jump in i was kind of hoping ace would be more involved yeah yeah it's funny i got ace in my book and i was thinking the same thing i just have him as like he's in the background he licks people now and then he doesn't really do much at all yeah um so i did figure out a way to get him involved at the in issue seven or eight uh finally and you know he's a dog it's not so much that he can do but i i would have loved to have had a chance for him to be needed like for his sense of smell you yeah know what i mean yeah but uh mine just isn't that kind of story mostly he's just a cameo yeah i i hope i hope what you did is in at the highest point of tension in the fight you just do one page where you cut to Ace, who's just lying in the Batmobile asleep, and then his just ear perks his up. Yeah, his ear perks up for a second, and then he just goes back to sleep. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. 
<laughs> I mean, they also, in my book, they find a stray living in the Batmobile, and they're like, eh, I guess he could come. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> Joker gives him a name. Uh, so it's not like he's trained or he's loyal to Bruce or he can do any tricks or anything like that. So I'm glad he's there, but I don't know. Uh, originally, I had the ending where um, Bruce and Harley are working together, uh, pulling off some final mission. And he brings Ace, and she brings Lucy, who is her hyena that um, Bruce bought her back in Harley White Knight. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like a family. And Harley goes, uh, oh, maybe the two of them will fall in love and have babies. And he goes, you know hyenas are actually cats, right? Which is true. Huh. She goes, what? All these years you've been letting me talk about my puppies, this and that, you never corrected me? And he goes, you, between robbing banks and dating a serial killer, I didn't think you had time or interest in learning about you know, tax, taxonomy. <laughs> um, so, you know, decent Batman kind of joke, but there's no room for it. So I had to cut it. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, I was surprised when I learned that hyenas are actually related to cats, not dogs. Yeah. I would not have guessed that. They don't look like cats. Yeah. No, they yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the other thing that I liked about this too is it gave uh it gives Terry a bit more non Batman stuff to do. Like he he's mm-hmm. hanging out with his girlfriend and uh he takes those two guys down on the train and then he uses yeah. the the pretext, the pretense of going to the Chimera place to get like a consultation or his girl convincing his girlfriend to get a consultation. Yeah, what <laughs> was then, that? And I then ditching her. <laughs> He could. She's she's kind of like mildly interested in it, and then in, in order for him to get in the door so he can snoop around, he convinces her to go in for a consultation, and then he just ditches her. <laughs> Even to the point I where they that. just have a, a, a right. shot where where she looks around, she's like Terry, and then they cut to her just walking out of the institute by herself. It's a lion. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why she she keeps him around. He seems like he's a dead weight. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he's got other shit on his mind. Yeah. Um, I, I like that they introduced Max, the uh, soon-to-be side character, and um, which the one, one who knows Bruce's secret. Which one was Max? She's black with pink hair. Oh, okay. Because I saw her name in the... Uh, I was going through the IMDb trivia, and it said this was the first appearance of Max. I was like, I can't remember who the hell that was. For, for a second, I thought it was the, uh, the one girl who gets turned into the, the the bad guy who's the the more cat-like uh yeah. character but okay right. that's interesting yeah she sort of becomes like um um oracle in a way um except she doesn't she's not paralyzed or anything sure but she knows terry's secret bruce knows that she knows and she's sort of been able to help him and she can run interference for him at school while he needs to leave and do stuff so oh interesting yeah she's she's a great character and definitely like a needed uh a welcome addition considering how formulaic some of the shows can feel sometimes having her in there is really nice yeah that that's nice to know because i do think i mean obviously one of the big um advantages of the bat family is that it changes things up and lets you lets you tell different kinds of stories and stuff so that that's that's nice that they have they're adding another character in eventually but yeah yeah um, for sure did you have anything else you want to talk about this one you want to go into what you would draw uh yeah that's pretty much it yeah uh so i'm gonna give it a four and i think i would draw maybe the taxonomy stuff or sorry taxidermy stuff yeah um, like him crawling near a 
walking past a scary bear that's frozen in time. You know, that kind of thing would be cool. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Uh, I am also going to give it a four. I'm going to take the cheap way out and say I want to draw the monster at the end or possibly the, I like the chimera guy. So here, this actually, I did want to talk about this. What do you think about the chimera design? Not the monster part, but like the first part where he, he's like half bird, half snake thing because I thought he looked like Hawkman, but it didn't quite work when he was talking. Yeah. Just seemed a little underdone. I would have taken another pass at that design. What about you? Yeah. The thing I was thinking is that I don't know if, and and you know maybe maybe as we go I'll be proven wrong here and I'll take this back but I don't know if original characters designed with this more streamlined look are really that interesting because all of the redesigned characters look great so like once they when, in Batman the animated series when they changed the art style when they had mm-hmm. like the streamlined version of Joker the streamlined version of Two-Face the streamlined version of Penguin all that stuff looks really good for the most part, aside from like Killer Croc. But um, I don't know what it is. But like, there's there's like some of these characters who don't have iconography baked into them, like those those villains do. I feel mm-hmm. like there's not enough information there f- to really be interesting to me because it's yeah. He, yeah he's a kind of a bird and he's kind of a snake or whatever. But I I don't <laughs> find it. Everything is so smoothed out that I don't really find it interesting because you don't get any mm-hmm. of those contrasting like textures or anything. It's just right. sort of like a a, a skin colored snake with with yeah. a bird face, and it's like, well, I don't know, and a couple yeah. of zigzaggy lines on the shoulders. Right. I think the um, angular design of this series plus season four of Batman mm-hmm. animated series, I just think it looks very plastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas seasons one through three seemed rounded, they used a lot more um, smoky, airbrushed textures in the backgrounds to give it uh, some variety. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I could see as an animator why this style's a lot easier to, to work oh, with. Oh, totally. Yeah. But yeah. it just doesn't feel, yeah, it just doesn't feel as uh, organic and developed as the first three seasons, you know? Yeah. Like, Killer, Killer Croc, I mean, the design was so simple but so cool at the same time. Um, like, his design was probably simpler than that Chimera. chimera oh, definitely, yet, yeah, yeah. The Croc holds up for some reason, and maybe because I'm nostalgic, but yeah, I don't know. I can't really explain it. Yeah, like, I liked the I liked the henchman. Well, I I, I liked the, the cat lady henchman. I thought her design was really cool. Uh, mm-hmm. The snake guy, I think, yeah. suffered from the same kind of plasticky smoothness where it's like, there's not a lot of identifying features. And, mm-hmm. uh, the ice tea guy was, he was fine. You know, <laughs> just a big dude with horns basically. But Wait, I like the shoes that were like hooves. This yes, um, yes. high tops. Those are pretty cool. Yeah. The high tops <laughs> that have like the, the Japanese toe split to make it look like, like uh hooves or something. That's, that's cool. There's a name for those. Uh, Dan Finojan knows what they are. Cause he, you know, work, works out and then probably sleeps in them for all I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember what they're called. I wonder what's what is the benefit of those? Is there a reason for for that? No idea. Yeah, actually, I'm sure there's people out there who know. So if you know, yeah. drop us a line. Let us know. We could look it up. We're lazy. Yeah, we. You could. know, I actually thought of another art question that uh, when I ask you this, you're going to be like, "Yeah, why don't we know the answer to this?" Mm-hmm. 
Why do they call it a Dutch angle? Oh, that's a great question. Um, right? I'm sure it's got a good answer. I have to. Why don't you? <laughs> maybe the, you look it up. I'll entertain us. <laughs> Where does the term oh, Dutch angle come from? I mean, is it, is it developed in Amsterdam? Was there a camera that was crooked? Uh, as one of its synonyms suggests, the Dutch angle shot actually originated in Germany instead of the Netherlands. Film historians suggest the term is a mistranslation of Deutsch angle shot, which directly Whoa. translates to German angle shot. Robert, Those Germans and Wa- their... Uh, I was just say Robert Wein, uh, Wein pioneered the shot in his 1920 horror film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. So the Germans were ba- suddenly got into tipping the camera diagonally to give the viewer a sense of unease. Yes. And uh, it, it has some kind of a hit in some German movie. And they're instead of calling it a Deutsch angle, because yeah. they were probably probably justifiably racist against Germans in, in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> It just got translated into Dutch angle, and there we are. Yeah, like 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 many other things, uh, saying it correctly was we were the Americans were too lazy to say it correctly, so they just said Dutch because it sounds like Dutch. Yeah, uh, so you guys you are go. Indians. Yeah. yeah, close enough. Well, you know, you, yeah. this isn't India. I said close enough. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for splicers. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Earth Mover. Oh my God. Tony? You left me buried. I thought you were dead. No. Didn't want partner. That's not true. There was nothing I could do for you. Nothing. But there was Jackie. I took care of her like she was my own daughter. Isn't that what you would have wanted? You stole her. You want to kill me? Go ahead. I've got a lot to answer for, but for God's sakes, let Jackie go. She stays, and you die. No! All right, Earth Mover, directed by Dan Reba, story by Stan Berkowitz and Alan Burnett, teleplay by Stan Berkowitz. In this one, Batman gets involved when a friend of Terry's and her adoptive father are haunted by eerie man-shaped creatures made out of soil and soon learns that they have a frightening connection to the girl's biological father who was thought to have perished in a nuclear accident. So this is one that I remember very vividly. Not most of the rest of the episode, but I remember the end or at least the, the reveal very vividly. And, uh, I always thought this was a Clayface episode. And I mean, technically, if you want to get... It's not officially a Clayface episode, but it's basically a Clayface episode. But in my head, my memory of it was... And I think I even talked about this in the last official Clayface episode we did when he like ends up going into the water and dissipating into the sea or whatever. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this is where he ended up after that. He like ended up as part of the uh, firmament of, of of Gotham City, and then you know there was all the, the toxic waste. So I thought it was just straight up Clayface. Yeah. I did. I had no idea it was yeah. a completely different character with a completely different story. Yeah, man, I was blown away by this one. I uh, I think this is probably as close as it gets to a five. Yeah, that's this, uh, not series. to ruin, but yeah. this is a hard five for me. This was fantastic. Yeah. I loved it. Oh my god! I mean. 
it's I liked it. It's not my type of episode, but I know that it is your type of episode. Oh, yeah. From the guy underground and his green eyes glowing, but they never move. And in the end where he gets like smashed by the dirt monster and you mm-hmm. can see his hand and wrists like separate from the wall. Like, mm-hmm. how is that OK in a kid's show? Oh, yeah. it's a dead body. OK. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, you all over it. It's just it's it's so um, interesting. It's it's so well paced out, and and mm-hmm. my my only the only thing that I don't love is I'm not huge on let's stop the story so we can tell a flashback. Um, I agree. But yeah. aside from that, like the the mystery of the what the things are, and like they set up the relationship with uh, Jackie and Bill, her yeah. stepfather or whatever, in a way right. that's like not foreboding but at the same time you're kind of like well there's clearly something going on here um mm-hmm. the scene where they where uh what the what the hell's the guy's name is it tom what's her father's name is it tom? uh to- tom or tony uh it is Whatever. doesn't matter tony tony yeah the, the, hey, tony tony played by <laughs> hey! disgraced actor stephen collins from star trek one uh the when he pulls the house down into the ground, I thought that yeah. was awesome. And then it turns into this like weird underground maze thing. That was fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, the, it was just he, it was so cool. Her dad, like a tube of a spire of dirt shoots out horizontally and then lets go of her dad, and then dirt collapses back into the wall. It's like whoa, that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love what this guy can do. This is, I think, this should be a recurring villain. Honestly. It's like being stuck inside two fa- or Clayface. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. I, and I thought the ending was fantastic. Like the ending, I I thought was like so uh, ambiguous yeah. as far as like mm-hmm. the when she, when Jackie is on her way out and like mm-hmm. she shoots a look at Tony mm-hmm. right before everything comes crashing down and then yeah turns away from her, him and then goes away with Bill and yeah. that, and then I'm thinking like well is is the story that bill told is that true mm-hmm. like because clearly tony doesn't think yeah. it was an accident bill says it is they right. never give you any indication whether or not one is true and the other one isn't and well you know tony's never been a reader maybe that's <laughs> what, what it was like in little italy he was uh it was his friend who had the brilliant idea of turning this into a big company making him a partner I mean, if he was really a villain, why would he make this guy a partner and then bury him underground accidentally? I think clearly hey, well, Bill is on the right side of history. I don't know because the thing that <laughs> I think one of the reasons I love this is because it's the same story as There Will Be Blood, essentially, and uh, <laughs> where the guy the guy gets killed in the the oil rig thing, and then Daniel Plainview takes his son and uses his son as a bargaining chip and, and uh, a mm. PR move. But like, even, yeah. I, I I like that there was no clear. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, I. <laughs> It leans more towards it was an accident, but... You don't get the dad from Wonder Years to be the voice of the bad guy. Period. Oh, come on. Yeah, you do. Come on. (laughs) Sure, I guess, like, Friday the 13th violates that rule. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But I I love the way it ended. I I love that there was a little bit of ambiguity there, um, and she kind of clearly chooses the dad she knows over the dad who's yeah. a monster the fact yeah. that yeah the fact that they kept cutting back to this creature talking and it, it wasn't moving it just had that nasty yeah. grin on its face and it's just like eyes would yeah be, oh my god it was awesome 
Yeah. Like, what if they had moved the eyes around? I thought, like, would that have made this better or worse? The fact that it's frozen and you're waiting for them to move and they don't probably makes it better. Yeah. Until they get really bright and he starts, like, using his superpowers double time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that, man. I, I, that's not something that I would want to draw, but I'm pretty sure that's something that you're going to draw. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My <laughs> one, the one thing where I was kind of like, uh, this is a little bit, this is a little bit soft, but I, I'm going to let it pass because the rest of the episode is so good. I don't know yeah. if I entirely buy defeating him by smashing open the toxic waste containers. Right. Uh, yeah, because like clearly the way that they design him is to make it look like these toxic waste containers are powering him, and yeah. so you know this, if you just... this was a video game, you would know where to shoot. Right, but as I was thinking yeah. about, it, I was like, I mean, he has, he can control the the Earth all over yeah. Gotham City, so he's like, not dead. There has to be some sort of more uh, intricate involvement of his uh, physiology with. Like, I, I just started like overthinking yeah. it. And yeah. of course, the answer is we need to get done with this episode in 22 minutes. Just blow up the goddamn yeah. canisters and let's go. But so, uh, yeah, the thing is, there really is no villain in this episode, which I like. But then they make the they make Tony the villain. Right? They give mm-hmm. him some cheap heat, basically, mm-hmm. which I know is a wrestling phrase. Sure is. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> they have him kind of like uh, confused and out of his mind. He's not speaking full sentences, so he's not really her dad anymore. And he's mm-hmm. got this like you know understandable anger and then you know by the end of it he comes around obviously it's like i wouldn't have changed a thing about it but yeah yeah she feet <laughs> yeah i thought it was great um i like the stuff with uh again i i think they use um terry's supporting cast pretty well here mm. uh there's not a lot of bruce in this one though if i'm if i'm now that i'm thinking about it right yeah it's fine though yeah um i think that they they managed to work the subplot like this feels like a season one two or three TAS episode because yeah. it has a lot of the seemingly mundane stuff with Terry being a kid he's over a friend's house he's helping her with homework you know we sort of understand that her something's up with her and her dad like you get a lot of good subplot stuff there that takes up equal space as the fantastic stuff which is why I think this works so well and it, it, like you said it doesn't really need uh, Batman which is kind of nice yeah and I you know. I, I hope I kind of hope that they do more of that because as much as I do love seeing Bruce, um, as we were saying about the last episode, I think there is a, a possibility that it becomes a little bit too formulaic where it's right. something crazy happens. He goes to Bruce. Bruce tells him what's going on. He goes out. The first time he tries to fight the thing, it doesn't work. And then Bruce has to give mm-hmm. him this other thing. And then, then you know, like it, it, it can it can get old. And I, I feel like honestly. I don't know if they decided to like consciously decided to change things up in season two, but mm-hmm. even in season one, I feel like towards the end we were kind of like, yeah, these are all kind of running together a little bit because they're all very similar. But uh, yeah. these first two of season two, I think, have been very different and very cool. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm glad too. I feel like, um, well, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about how people that made this show didn't want to do it. It mm-hmm. was a pitch that Bruce Tim gave in because they were like, yeah, pitch us something like Bruce, make Batman young. And he was like, all right. And it was something that he didn't really seem to want to do. Mm. And they gave this to Warner Brothers and they're like, great, green light. So they're like, oh shit, well, how are we going to do this now? So it kind of fell into this uh, series. So I don't know, maybe that affected the enthusiasm for season one 
And now that they're doing season two, they say they know what this is about. They know where to go. There's more passion for it or something. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think, yeah, very possibly. Um, yeah. Were, were you thinking that Bill was going to turn out to explicitly be uh, a villain? Because, I mean, he's not... No. <laughs> he's technically... He's... he's not not a villain in, in that he is a uh, businessman who was just dumping toxic chemicals to the ground okay yeah he is a he is an environmental his hands uh, are not criminal. his hands are not completely clean let's put it that way but he took his buddy's daughter in he seems to be a loving father she likes him a lot uh he tries to sacrifice himself twice to save her mm-hmm. you know um he gets in the car and drives off when he realizes that it's tony and it's after him so he tries to spare her by taking off alone yeah and then again in the cave he's like you know don't punish her punish me i have plenty to answer for like that's not what a bad guy does True. and he's got the voice of uh kevin arnold's dad <laughs> yeah i i kept waiting for the turn though i i was expecting them to go that yeah. tony's reading of the situation that he had him killed on purpose was actually true and yeah. uh, i think the fact that they didn't do that makes the episode yeah. better Okay, yeah. I mean, that makes it also a kid's show, and what you're describing is awesome, but a little darker. <laughs> I mean, you, you don't get too much darker than anything else in this episode. I'm having Cor- her father, toxic her waste powered corpse talking to you from <laughs> being stuck in the wall is pretty dark. Having Kevin Arnold's father raise you under false pretenses and murdered your actual father is a lot worse. Yeah, but I take your I take your point. Just saying, it could have been darker. You're getting blinded by me, the casting, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So um, you would you would draw him uh, hooked up to green tubes like Clayface and Bane mixed into one character. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Uh, that like I would love to do like a splash page reveal of that thing. That would be really cool. If you um, ever draw a uh, scene that takes place underground again, which you were, you should put an Easter egg in of this guy, just a corpse. You know, with some little lines to it, and then have Russ put like a little bit of green on there. Yeah. Well, you know, if when I eventually do the sequel to Bloody Hell, there might be some mm. underground stuff in that. So maybe I could sneak him in there. That'd be pretty creepy. There you go. Yeah. If um, I if I'd thought ahead, I could have. If if we had done this two years ago, I could have put him into the into the first volume. There's plenty of mud, and and uh, half that book is bodies coming out of muddy walls. So. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um. The thing I would draw is I would redesign Batman's submarine, which I think is terrible. Yeah, I don't love it. It's just a boring submarine with a red windshield. Yeah, uh, it's got a little like a little uh, telescope shooting out the top, like a yellow submarine as well. It's just <laughs> oh, and I know, like when he gets in there, there's like a bench for two people to sit conveniently. I don't know. I just would have. I feel like his Batmobile could probably go underwater. But I know that right. Warner Brothers wants to make new toys. But who's going to buy? Even if that thing was made into a toy, there's nothing Batman about it. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's just black and red, which is yeah, just what reads as Batman. Even though I don't yeah. particularly care for those colors. If they made a toy, Batman. they would just label slap some shit that they made before and just get it out there. But yeah, that's my only big criticism of the uh, story is that the fucking sub. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I just looked it up quickly. I don't think they ever made a. Uh... A toy of that. Maybe they yeah. did. I have um, I'm doing 
issues seven and eight to finish up beyond right now. And I have them assaulting the uh, Wayne Powers building. And, you know, Powers has been making all these uh, machines and tech and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I have them going through um, the bottom of the building is attached to the ocean through an abandoned subway, uh, sorry, submarine base. And uh, I added that because I was like, man, <laughs> I hate it when you have a battle somewhere and then you have to return to the battle scene at the finale again. Like, I'd prefer a new battleground. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that you mentioned, too, in the book that you're doing with my wife, you know? Sure, um, sure. So I was like, okay, well, what if they revisit the Wayne Powers building, but there's a new section to it that they've never seen before, and it's connected to the ocean. So there's like a waterborne assault that starts off with, and that gives me the chance to draw some bat boats and bat subs oh, and nice. whatever yeah. that Batman has to, yeah. So I think it was you that got me thinking about when you, people recycle settings for finales, which you don't like it and I don't like it. So I was trying sure. to find a way around that, even though the story's kind of set, you know? Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, that'll be cool. I don't. Yeah, you haven't really done too many bat boats. You did the uh, the '89 Batmobile turned into a boat in Curse, right? But is that yep. that's pretty much it, I think. Yeah, um, I did the boat in the 1600s, <laughs> uh, pirate ship oh, or whatever. Oh, sure, yes. Um, I know yeah. that doesn't count though. Um, no, I had a boat uh, underwater in Curse as well. I had. Um, submarine that batman was using actually uh i forget the context of what the hell it was but i remember it exploded and batman got out of there um, oh okay but well, ho uh, hopefully the uh the the aquatic attack in beyond is just uh, shot for shot the aquatic assault on uh alcatraz from the rock oh yeah why not man you know <laughs> what i was gonna do is have the beyond batmobile parrying the 89 underneath it which i've already set up yeah. You start the uh, episode, uh, the issue out where they're looking down. They're like, "Oh, I only see one Batmobile. Huh? I wonder what the plan is here." And they don't know that underneath it is a second Batmobile and Terry flying. So they get close to the, um, uh, the submarine base and they let go of the eighty-nine Batmobile, and then it transforms in midair, lands on the water, skips into the water, jets right into the submarine station, starts blowing shit up. Nice. And um, the reveal is that uh, Red Hood and Nightwing are working together in the Beyond Batmobile, and Bruce and Harley are in the 89. Uh -huh. And there's a third. So it's like a four pronged assault, basically. It happens all at once. It's kind of a surprise. So you should. That's you a should spoiler. Have, you should have uh, Batman assault the Powers Building in a blimp. And then so they're like, wow, that's he's never used a blimp before. I wonder why he's using a blimp. And then the, the bottom of the blimp opens up and it just starts dropping Batmobiles like bombs onto the building. So you've got you know, all those I was Batmobiles. For the first part of that. All those Batmobiles that you have stored in, in the various caves are just being thrown at the building like, like, like explosives. Like big Batmobile lawn darts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you've got like Derek Powers and and uh, what's her name Flint running through as like the '66 Batmobile just like bashes through the wall and sticks into the floor. Oh I mean, so when I sent this issue to my editor, uh, her note to me: God bless Brittany. She works her ass off, and I know she's underpaid and overworked, but. She gets to the point where she's reading about the 89 Batmobile. She's like, oh, I'm going to have to check with Warner Brothers to make sure it's okay to use this one. Mm. And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? She's like, well, you know, I got to make sure it's all right for us to use movie props. And I go, Brittany, I've been using the 89 Batmobile since the beginning of this series. I've been yeah. even in this issue, even in the page before. Like, here's I took a picture of it. I'm like, do you not know what the 89 looks like? And she admitted that she had a brain fart. But she goes, 
she says like oh come on it's not my fault i wasn't born when that movie came out <laughs> and i was like well i wasn't born when batman 66 came out but i know what the you know madam west Batmobile looks like so i don't know whatever it was funny but i don't know i guess she's more t- maybe she needs a vacation yeah not just me yes i think probably a lot of people do yeah <laughs> Uh, just to round it out, you're going to give this one a five? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, me too. This is easily my favorite episode of, of both seasons so far. Um, yeah. This, uh, and honestly, I mean, I, we keep using this as a measuring stick, but like this is the, this is probably the closest they've gotten to Heart of Ice in this show. Yeah. In that like, it's not just an action story there's actually some real pathos and and characters with actual motivations and emotions and stuff Mm, um yeah so yeah i mean i hope they can keep it up i'm not i don't really expect them to but i'm hoping this season this is just a uh harbinger of of what's to come that the rest of the season will have some uh higher points than the first season yeah yeah i think it's gonna get better yeah at least maybe instead of every episode being a three, maybe we'll have more fours thrown in there. But yeah, starting this off with a four and a five is pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's nice. going to do it for these two episodes. Um, did so you? Uh, what did yeah. you think? What did you think of San Diego not having been since two thousand six or whatever? It was it was an interesting experience for a couple of reasons. Um, one being that I yeah had only been there once before and it hadn't been for fifteen years. And two, that I was there as a professional, which I wasn't the first time. Mm. Um, and, I mean, the whole weekend, we were there, what, Thursday through Sunday? I think the only th- yeah. I only spent a couple hours in the show each day because of, you know, that's when we were doing our signing and stuff. And mm-hmm. I had other stuff to do, so I, I didn't get a ton of time to look around. I, in the last day on Sunday, <clears throat> after we finished our, our signing, I had maybe two hours to check the show out. And then I had yeah. to, to to leave because I was meeting a friend for for lunch before we flew back. Um, yeah, and it was uh, it wasn't as crazy as I remembered it being, and I don't know if that's a because I didn't get to look ar- around that much, or b because of COVID, or both, or what. But it, I didn't mm-hmm. feel like it was difficult to walk around. Um, and I when I went the first time, I think I had gone. That was definitely the biggest show I had ever been to at the time, which would have been like 2006. And mm-hmm. I've been to so many shows since then, and they're all kind of the same. That maybe that kind of bled yep. into it a bit too, where it's like, yeah, it's a big show, but it's like it, it, San Diego didn't feel bigger than New York to me. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think they're approaching equal traffic, honestly. Yeah. Um, and they both probably had to cut back the last few years just for safety reasons mm-hmm. um and new york isn't a lot more stressful too because you're dealing with the city and if you're not a city person or if you don't know new york it's like an added stress oh, whereas yeah. san diego is very easy to you know get around and walk and it's not that big you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah i mean i haven't been for 11 years i uh yeah i really wasn't really knowing what to expect because we were kind of a last minute addition i had a friend at um I forget what the name of his company is, but he was able to hook us up with a table. Yeah, and uh, it was a big we wow. Like, was it big wow? That yeah, was thank you. Us? Yes, yeah, big wow hosted us, gave us a table last minute. Um, so it wasn't like the convention sponsored us; it was just sort of a friend of a friend that was able to step up 
Mm -hmm. So yeah, it went as well as could have expected. Um, I got to meet Todd McFarland for the first time face to face, so that was fun. Yeah, I got to watch because he came over to the table, and then he. Yeah. I just. I was flattered. Creepily took a picture of him while he was standing there. (laughs) He was there promoting. He was there with Ozzy Osbourne promoting um, the new line of figures, and I I texted him the week before the show and saying, "Hey, can." meet you just tell me where you be i'll make it easy like i'll do all the walking just five minutes whatever to say hi so um he wasn't able to make that happen but he must have told his secretary to add me to his list and he, he tracked me down and said hi and immediately started complaining about dc's marketing department this <laughs> 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 batman spawn um wasn't uh promoted as well as he would have liked or at least it didn't seem like it would be mm-hmm. and i'm like todd todd you're jumping into my nightmare, buddy. You have no idea what I went through with White Knight. Like, yeah, I don't know what's going on either. And he's like, this book's going to be the best-selling one-shot of the entire entire decade for DC. I'm like, yeah, probably. I mean, who wouldn't be excited for Spawn Batman? Um, and he asked me to do a cover, which I, of course, said yes. And uh, yeah, it was fun. It was like meeting a version. There's so many people, and there's so few people in comics that are good at business. So when I see someone like me, in a way, I'm like, oh man, I got to learn from this guy. And Todd mm-hmm. is definitely one of those guys, you know, faults and all. You know, I, I really, I really dig. Uh, I'm always willing to listen to what he has to say. You know. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. It was, it was cool. I, you know, we got to hang out with uh, some people I hadn't seen in a while, um, who had moved to the West Coast. Uh, don't mm-hmm. make it out as much to the East Coast shows anymore. Yeah, uh, I got to see Steve-O. Hadn't seen him in a bunch of years. Um, oh yeah, I don't think I saw him. Was he at the DC party one night? Uh, or no? He was hanging out at the bar with us one of the okay. nights. Uh, I forget which. Oh yeah, it was him at and Andrew, Andrew and Aaron were hanging out. Yeah, that's um, right. And yeah, I, I actually got to, got to meet some people I had worked with but never met in person before because they were on the West Coast, which was fun. Right. Uh, I actually had like. Uh, what's the word um scheduled meetings to talk to people which i've never had at a convention before yeah uh so yeah it was yeah, it man. was a, it was a, a very different convention experience than what i'm used to yeah we got to meet uh dennis cowan which was awesome yeah he was so cool we i yeah. i just struck up a conversation with him at the the dc party thing and he just talked yeah. forever and then i he i i mentioned you know that i was working with you and and he said to me he goes I really want to talk to him. I was like, go talk to him. And he goes, I don't know. I'm afraid he won't know who I am. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and so after so, I was done, I came over to you and said, go talk to Dennis Cowan. He doesn't know. He doesn't think you know who he is. And you were like, what? How is that possible? And then, you know, we, yeah. we the three of us ended up talking and he told us some awesome stories about Jorge Zafino and Alberto yeah. and stuff. So you and the other two guys that were there were some kind of um, Dennis was doing some kind of program where he was helping um, people of color get into comics or get in with DC. Um, oh, the uh, I don't think uh, the milestone too, initiative thing. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah, and I hate to word it that way, but that is literally what they're what they're doing, which is great. So I met these two kids who were younger, but um, one of them worked with uh, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, mm-hmm. from Creed fame, and I was like, holy shit, man! I'm not celebrity you are that that's that's amazing yeah he wrote like and he was talking super bowl ab- ads and stuff like i think we're, yeah i think we're all like are you sure you want to do this this seems like a step yeah, down man, for- it's just like, <laughs> see how tired we all are see how fresh and so he was telling me too that uh, he was meeting dennis i'm like oh man dennis is here and he's like yeah man he, and he said the same thing he want 
he wants to meet you, but he's afraid he won't know who he is. And I'm like, I know who Dennis is. Jesus Christ. So I went over to Dennis and uh, I was like, hey, man, and for people that don't know, uh, he's got a real loose inking style. Um, and he was actually featured in a few advertisements for watches and some, I don't know if it was Rolex or what. Mm -hmm. Back in the 80s, you can see magazine ads with Dennis as the model um, wearing the watch or the, whatever the hell he was selling. And I don't know why those what what the point of those were but like that's back when illustrators used to be celebrities like bob sure. peak and all that sure at least in my mind that's what it was so i go up to him and I, the first thing i said to him i was like hey man remember that advertisement you did he turns to me and he's like yeah and i go remember that really awesome 80s sweater you had in that hat and he's like he's laughing he's like yeah and i go was that your sweater or did they give you that to wear and he's like unfortunately it was mine <laughs> so uh yeah we got along great at then at that point and um we were talking about, you know, people we knew and different philosophies and, you know, uh, you know, politics and comics and trying to boost representation and all that stuff and, and all that. He's a great guy. And mm. politically, we seem to align a lot. And then he went into his Zafino story. And that's when I stopped him and I grabbed you. I'm like, Clay, you got to Because I know whatever, whatever he's about to say <laughs> is going to be amazing. <laughs> so you might as well. So I pulled you out of whatever conversation you were having. And he told us how he hung out with Zafino. And... uh he was there and he'd speak a lot of English, but uh, he knew who Dennis was and loved his stuff. And he, uh, they went over to where Zafina was working and they showed him all these, looked at all these pages and they were amazing. And Zafina was just giving these pages away, just the sweetest, polite, gentle guy. Um, and, uh, you know, they swapped art and, you know, they got along ever since, even though they spoke different languages and all mm -hmm. that. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, do you remember anything else about the story that stood out? I forget. Um... I think it was it was one of those. Things, I believe it was uh, Zafina was hanging out at the offices. I can't, I must have been DC, and like no one was really paying attention to him. And so Dennis knew Everyone's who he was. Yeah. yeah, Dennis knew who he was, so he struck up a conversation. And I think he ended up having Zafino and his wife over for dinner. It's, and they, that's it. Okay. Yeah, and so and then afterwards they were kind of like looking at work and stuff. And he opened his portfolio and, and just pointed at Zafino yeah. pointed at his own work and just said, "Pick." And it's yeah. like, and Dennis was like, "What? Sorry, what?" But yeah, he, he told another another great story about uh, being at a bookshop in France and mm. stocking up on on books by French illustrators or, or non American illustrators, and came across uh, a Bertolt Brescia book. And when yeah. he went to check it out, the guy goes, "You know, he's standing right over there." And he's like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, he's right behind you." And so he turned around, and Brescia was just hanging out in the bookstore. And so he right. talked talk to him for a while and uh, yeah. got a... And he said, uh, you know my student. And Dennis is like, who? And he goes, Zafino. Yes. He's a student of mine. Yes. Yeah. So we're talking Spanish to, to Italian to English for this triangle conversation to happen, which, yeah. yeah. But they all knew each other. They spoke the language of art, right. I should say. Yeah. And I guess uh, Brescia did a, a sketch in the book that Dennis brought that that Dennis bought and he didn't know what it was at first and then he realized it was a self portrait of Brescia drawing at the the drawing table that he just whipped wow. out in yeah. in the bookstore and he said it was unbelievable so that's insane man <clears throat> yeah 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 that's it's because Dennis draws so loose too for I mean you and I would be happy to meet Kevin Nolan or you know any legend Simonson but Palin is from the school of let's make it messy and somehow make it work at the right. same time, you yeah. know? Yeah. And going with that 
uh, mentality means you r- run the risk of it going off the rails. Yeah. So you're scribbling, you're making all these crazy marks, and you're not always controlling your brush. You don't need clean lines, but somehow it works out. And it's just the weird mentality of people that go down that road and how I love it, you love it, he loves it, Safina loves it, obviously. And it's just so different of, of an approach than what Adam Hughes is known to do, you know? So it's always cool talking to people that are of that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's always been like, you know, uh, there are certain people who are really great at that more formalized and um, constructed yeah. and perfect styling. Like our, our buddy Joe is is amazing at it. Um, mm. <clears throat> but to me, it's like the the number of times that you have to Anytime I've tried to do something like that, which is like, all right, I've done the sketch. I want to transfer the sketch as closely as possible. So I'm going to light box it exactly. And then I'm going to go from there. And that's going to be a, a yeah. tight a tight drawing. I'm going to tight ink it. I, For me personally, I always mm-hmm. end up losing something. Like some yeah. energy or, or life just gets yeah. drained out. And also I kind of find it boring of just drawing the same yeah. thing exactly the same way over and over again. So yeah. that's why I've always been drawn to the more messy kind of like you're kind of riding the edge of whether or not this is actually going to work. <laughs> so yeah. Sometimes I don't know it what I'm doing here right now. Yeah, I don't some, know why I have this much ink on the brush. Sometimes it doesn't work, but when it does, it's yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I used to take more chances, and uh, inevitably, when you're doing something over and over, you're just gonna get better and tighter at it. You're gonna find, um, you know, ways to control it more easily, yeah. Where, yeah. even though it looks messy. Like with the way Sinkavich inks or draws and you're like, you don't know what he's doing until he lifts his pencil and suddenly it all comes right. into focus, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, is it chaos or it just looks like chaos from the outside? Who knows? Yeah, I, I find myself sometimes rebelling against my own uh, formality when I draw now where if, if, I, if I'm being too uptight about things, I, I, there's something in my head that clicks and goes, this isn't the kind of artist you are. Put some fucking ink on that brush and do something crazy. And then I'll do it and I'll go, I don't know if that worked, but I got to figure it out now. So there's, yeah. a, there's always something inside me that's like when I get too tight and too uh, concerned about um, mm-hmm. perfection and, and, and perfect lines and stuff, there's always something inside me that wants to just blow it up. <laughs> I was looking at some of the tools that Ashley Wood is using now and it's that brush slash pen you use it's like a calligraphy pen oh yeah the parallel pen, really yeah. wide and it's like a good building window brush yeah you put it yeah those yeah. things are awesome i love using yeah them. and it dries really dark too so it doesn't even when you erase it it's it's not going anywhere yeah i started using that um i've actually been using that a lot more for just it's like the main tool that i use um yeah. and it, you get some really interesting lines out of it and uh i i need to the thing I've been trying to do with it is is try to use the pen for what it can do more than a replacement for other tools, if that makes sense. So, right. like, even though it can make fine lines, it's like, well, that's is that really what I'm doing, what I'm using this for is to get a fine line out of it, or am I using it to get something kind of interesting? So I've, I've been trying to dial it in with that thing to, to see if I can figure out a way to use it that is uh, uh, playing to its strengths. While not just me being lazy, too lazy to use a dip pen. <laughs> yeah. Tools like that work if you're inking alleyways, sewers, dark jackets, wrinkles, um, you know, trees. But if you're trying to draw a car in perspective, racing down the street, 
you got to be careful with that tool. You know, yeah. that, that you need some things to be clean and clear and straight. Other things can be uh, a mess, but it works, you know? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'll try to, I use a calligraphy nib um, a lot more than I used to, but it's only on certain objects, not, not everywhere. And sometimes I'll be like, yeah, I can ink a face with this. And I'm like, whoops. All right. Time to get, time to make a patch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, and it's also, you know, I, I find that you can only be so fine with those things until it's beyond the, the ability of what the pen can really do. So you, you gotta, yeah. you just gotta know when to, when to use it and when you might need something else to, to take the place for whatever you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, uh, sort of related to the Batman animated series. Mm-hmm. I wrote to, uh, Paul Dini yesterday. Oh, cool. Asking him if he, uh, Two things I was curious to see if he wanted to do. One was just to say, hey, I've got a... uh, Sorry, I have an airplane going over me right now. (laughs) Uh, I love this house, but we're right in the middle of uh, where planes come into land, (laughs) the the main airport. So um, I said, you know, I've got my own universe. Uh, I'd love to work with you if you want to write me a script, like a two-issue, something small. Um, If you had an idea, something that you'd want to do with one of your animated series characters that dc won't allow you to do like if you wanted to do a death story with mr freeze or clayface you could do whatever you wanted i don't know if there's anything that you wanted to do or whatever if you had any ideas but i would you know open door policy man anytime you want to pitch me something like that like i'm pretty sure dc will do whatever you want sure um and the other thing i wanted to see if you wanted to was uh darkwing duck with me (laughs) I uh, was talking to a friend who sells art, and he's like, man, a lot of art in Europe, they buy arts with ducks on them. I'm like, you're right. There is a lot of that over there. And he goes, yeah, you know, Disney never stopped publishing Donald Duck comics, even to this day. Some of these great artists um, are drawing Uncle Scrooge and shit like that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was like, huh. And I go, what if I did Darkwing Duck? Just for the, just, I know the art would be worth a lot. It's kind of Batman. It's kind of dark. It's got ducks in it. And I'm like, man, I don't want to, I don't, I like Darkwing Duck, but I don't know what I have to say in 48 pages about right. Darkwing Duck. Right. And I thought, you know who might is Paul Dini because he used to write for Tiny Toons, I think. So this is like the best of both worlds. So I looked into who owns Darkwing Duck. I think it's Dynamite. And uh, assuming Paul says yes, I think I am going to see if they're interested in having us do a one shot. Well, Maybe just, I th- uh, think Darkwing Duck is a Disney property. It is, but I think the rights are currently the comic book rights are currently owned by Dynamite. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. Boom, Boom had them for a while. Like oh. when Darkwing made its big comic book reappearance back like ten years ago. That was a Boom comic. Oh, no kidding! Oh, I didn't. Re- I didn't. I, yeah. honestly, I honestly did not even realize they were making Darkwing Duck comics. No, they're not. So they're not doing anything with it. I think they had plans for 2023, but it fell through. But now I'm thinking if I pitch them just to do a one shot, having me and Paul do something would be. I don't think they'd say no. Yeah, and, I mean uh, that's a that's a tough tough team to say no to. I think. <laughs> and uh, for me, it would be cool. I would keep my backgrounds the same, but for trying to come up with a, like a Disney style of my own that would be so weird and hard to do. But I think it'd be fun fun challenge. Yeah, that would be very neat. I but, <laughs> I would love to see. I would love to see what he comes up with for that if it's something that he he agrees to do. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the idea. I don't know. I mean, I told them that I basically retired from working with writers. And I only write my own stuff now. But if there's someone I would come out retirement for, uh, it's a very grand way of saying it. But, you know, I would definitely love to work with the guy that, you know, co-created Mr. Freeze and all that stuff that we love. Sure, absolutely, yeah. 
But uh, because most of our income comes from original art sales now, anytime I do a project, I sort of am thinking about, can I sell these pages? Right. So right. I have the, the honor, I'm not complaining, I'm honored to have this, this problem, but I have to think about titles that I think I could sell. So could I do Robocop? Yeah. But would those pages sell? Probably not, unfortunately. But if I do Judge Dredd, yes, those will sell. Right. Hellboy would sell. Darkwing might sell. Like, there's a handful of things that I know uh, would be as valuable as Batman. Uh, Meta Barons in Europe would probably sell. So it's probably like 20 different titles that I think I could make work as much as Batman would. But generally, everything else is probably not going to be as valuable for obvious reasons. Sure. Yeah. Well, you got a whole other uh, whole other side of the big two you could explore if you find a way to get <laughs> over there. I mean, if I could ever do a Marvel book, uh, you were the one that pointed out the Alex Ross uh, Fantastic Four, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so uh, I checked into that. Oh, cool. It's uh, I can't remember who published it, but Abrams. it's licensed from Abrams. Okay, so it, they licensed it from Marvel to do that, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm looking into that to see if I can just do a Gambit book with Abrams, and Marvel doesn't have to know about it until it just hits the shelves. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you might you might need to pick a character a little bit more high profile than Gambit, but no, fuck you, Gambit Hot Pink. You know, I've been after that for a while. That's my. But yeah, I had been I had heard that that Alex Ross book was something that he had been wanting to do for a long time, but Marvel just kept saying no, and so right. he ended up going to Abrams and kind of bypassed them a little bit and uh, and put it out. And it's awesome. I, I think it's really cool. Yeah. it's my. Why would they say no to uh, Alex Ross book? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's probably my favorite thing I've seen from him in a long time. Uh, yeah. Because he's he's really he's going full full blacklight poster Jack Kirby in that book. It's it's very cool. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, he's not he's not painting the whole thing. Like there are some spots where I think he's done painting, but it's mostly I think it's digital color over his pencils. And okay. his pencils are so tight that you can you know you yeah. know, you could just do that all day, and I think it looks great. Yeah, I. I love I love his pencils. I prefer his pencils than his paintings, honestly. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. Seeing his sketches, like I'm like, man, I would love to see this guy get inked by Sinkavich and then put a book out that way. Like, why does everything have to be painted? Right. <laughs> and I respect yeah. how hard it is to paint, but I'm like, it could be faster that way. It could, you know, Alex reinvent himself and have a whole new thing or whatever. Especially with um, like, I mean, unfortunately, the last year or so is emphasizing this to a unfortunate degree but with with uh so many legends who are who are towards the end of their lives um it would be and with alex ross's style being so rooted in like classic marvel it would be really cool to see him inked by some more uh classic inkers Mm um oh but yes cabbage would be really cool um Mm -hmm. like anybody anybody like uh scott williams or or uh yeah any of the guys that that worked in the night they're obviously not close to dying but you you know what you know what i'm talking about i was gonna say i know we lost jp but uh if he inked uh alex ross that'd be awesome but i think jp should just ink himself i mean yeah. obviously it's too late too late for that but yeah well yeah, i guess the closest they styles. came i was just gonna say the closest they came was probably earth x but i don't think they ever worked i don't think they ever worked yeah. on each other's art i think it was just uh alex was just writing that one i think yeah yeah, that's what's nuts to me about people who don't know who JP. How do you do a book as big as Earth X? As many characters and the the mythology that that book encompassed, 
and then people sort of, he sort of falls off most readers' radar. That yeah. to me is just so weird, you know? Yeah, yeah. It always, I mean, his art yeah. always stood out anytime I came across it, and I, I did always yeah. wonder why he didn't. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not the most mainstream looking stuff in the world. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, in the, 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 the early two thousands when you had, uh, what Alex Maleev was doing on daredevil and Michael Mm -hmm. Lark and stuff like that, all those guys were kind of, kind of playing in the same sandbox to a certain extent. And you know, those guys were doing the biggest books on the shelves. So Maleev was, uh, one of the first to use digital backgrounds. He would take photos of buildings and then run filters and Photoshop over them. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, and I think it looked great. And I was like, I felt so defeated because I'm like, man, I'm never going to be able to draw a background that well. And then I realized he was cheating. And I was like, oh, thank God. Okay, good. <laughs> There's yeah. no one out there that's actually the capable of drawing that. Awesome. <laughs> a friend of mine actually uh, at New York a handful of years ago bought one of his pages from Daredevil. It was a fight scene between yeah. Daredevil and uh, Gladiator, I think. And uh-huh. uh, the se- the drawings were d- of the fight were done on like an eight and a half by 11, like small kind of piece of paper. But it was listed as, oh, this is the original art from that page. And my friend was yeah. like, what? <laughs> and yeah. it was because all the backgrounds were digital. And so yeah. he had just done the, the the figures and then pasted them in afterwards, which, you know, you yeah. get, get it done however you can. I mean, it looks great. Absolutely. But don't expect full price for the artwork. Like, uh, right. Even when I stat a page, if I have to cut paste to page in Photoshop, I have someone wrote me yesterday and they said, I want to buy this Tokyo ghost page, but I think the last panel is a stat. And I said, hundred percent it is. So you're, you're getting seven out of, nine, sorry, five out of six panels. And the buyer, the seller should tell you that. Yeah. But I, I'd make a point to try to do that as little as possible because it, it always, when I'm reading a comic and I see a repeated panel, I have to stop and look at every line to confirm <laughs> yeah. that it's been like every tick mark, every yep. little line on the nose. is like, is it, is it? Yes, it's a stat. So I'll redraw that shit as close as I can just because I'm a maniac and I hate myself. Yeah, um, I do the same thing. I always looked at it. I, I, I don't honestly have a problem <laughs> with it because, you know, tell the story how you want to tell the story and comics, totally. work, comics move so fast yeah. that you got to do what you got to do to get your books done. Um, yeah, but I, I, I'm, I always, anytime I see that, there's a part of my brain. It's the same part of my brain that tries to figure out how like special effects or magic tricks are done. Where it's just like I'm like, I get a, Are you going to be able to fool me by making me think yeah. that this is not just a photocopy of the the previous panel? Yeah, was that a scrub or was it actually someone being shot? Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a. I, I remember. Uh, I remember. I I picked up. Um, what the fuck is it? Uh, Wolverine and Havoc meltdown. The the book that uh, from the, oh, yeah. the early nineties or late eighties that Kent Williams yeah. and John J. Muth drew or painted. It's fucking awesome. But uh, I was flipping through it and I was like, man, there's actually a lot of reused panels in this. And I I don't I don't blame them because full painted comics are a beast. But there were some in places where I was like, oh, clearly they, you know, he drew the 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 splash shot of Wolverine and then like three panels later they needed a close up for Wolverine so he just used a zoomed in shot of the, yeah. the splash panel and just put it down there. Yeah. And like unless unless you have an eye for that stuff, you're probably mm-hmm. not going to notice it. But I was yeah. I was surprised <laughs> that it always stands out to me when when people do that. And I, I mean yeah. I've done I've done it too, so I'm obviously not yeah. I'm not judging. But now this is what musicians do. I mean if you if a musician hears of a new band, he's listening 
to uh, are those drums real or is that a, a drum machine? Right, sure. And they just yeah. they put on their professional baseball hat and they switch into a different mindset. They can't help it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Cavish did that too with um, a lot of his interior stuff. It's just you know repeating panels, zooming in, whatever. And, you know, it never for his stuff because it's so intricate. It never took me out of it. But right when yeah. uh, artists do it and they have a very plain, simple style, I don't I don't know why you don't just move the camera around and re reframe the shot so you have mm -hmm. a full page of art to sell. But if you're all digital now, it's just that much easier just to cut and paste as much as you want. Like, you know, I love what Simone DeMeo did on Red Hood, but there's a lot of um, reused faces and close-ups and stuff like that because that's what he needed to do to get it done, which is fine. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I just, it's hard for me to allow myself to do that because it, it, for me, it feels like cheating, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, you know, y you are focused on having a, a full page to sell and so obviously if you're doing that it, it makes it incomplete you know yeah <laughs> um did you want to talk about red hood at all before we wrap it up uh yeah so it's all finished um we uh this the secret is out is that uh, simone didn't end up drawing the second part of it <laughs> yeah yep <laughs> we uh he fell behind he had a wedding to to uh finish up so we had to find um a different artist whose name is George Cambodias. Cambodias, there you go. Yep, George has got a slightly different style, but he tried really hard to match Simone, which is hard because Simone's stuff is so unique. But I was looking online at reviews, and uh, like I could tell the switch. I but I don't know if most reviewers could tell, which makes me wonder why I bother trying to draw good at all. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually I saw some I saw some reviews that didn't notice and and said that it was pretty. Yeah. seamless but i did see a couple other ones that actually their biggest problem yeah. was that the, the the change in art was so jarring so yeah. i think you know it's it's personal personal preference yeah. or, or whatnot but yeah it seemed to be it seemed to be received pretty well the series as a whole um yeah i was very happy with the re response to gan as a character she seemed to go over pretty well with a lot of people oh 100 yeah. i got no negativity um from her at all um yeah, I know. I, I think that if I was the type of artist who was still on Twitter and pushing culture war stuff, then the trolls might have come after us for Gan. But because I'm not, I just think they just people. It wasn't fun for them, so they just moved on. You know? <laughs> well, I actually I saw one review. I think it was a YouTube. I can't remember <clears throat> yeah. where the guy was reviewing it, and he and he was like, and then I turned the page, and here we go. Body positivity, Robin. I mean, come on. What are we even doing here? And then by the end of the review, he was like, but actually, she was pretty cool. And I actually really liked her as a character. And I was like, yeah, yeah. shut up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Just read the damn book and just leave that I shit know. at the side. We're just telling the story here, man. So I could talk about this for an hour, but there's the new, you know what fan baiting is? Uh, I think that's a new one to me. It is. And it's important. It started with uh, the, the all-female Ghostbusters. Um, they noticed, studios noticed they were getting trolled. Uh, maybe wrongfully so, maybe rightfully so. I mean, sending uh, rape threats to actresses is obviously not cool. Yeah, um, I'm going to say wrongfully so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just, I don't think we need to argue about that, but. No, no, no. No, I'm kidding. Um, so I noticed that um, with the new Lord of the Rings, I watched it. I thought it was a little boring, but I did not 
noticed that there were black characters and there were interracial marriages. I just, I don't know, maybe I'm so evolved that I just don't see it anymore. But <laughs> I certainly didn't think it was woke and pushing things in my face. Like, haha, you voted for Trump, but you're going to hate this. Right. I thought it was fine. But when they did the press releases, the actors and the directors and the entire show went out of their way to tack neckbeards and say, you know, we're going to jack politics and we're going to like they they triggered the culture war stuff. They mm -hmm. purposefully did it. And it must have been they, they almost had to have planned it because the minute they did an interview, the uh, marketing team for the movie hit Twitter with these things. So they were ready. Like they were trying to stoke outrage. I'm guessing from Trump supporters uh, by saying, see, the racists don't want you to have this show. So now we're getting attention. Mm -hmm. And they think they're driving clicks and sales and marketing for the show. But I don't think it's working because if the show isn't good, then who gives a shit? Right. But you'll notice that a lot of marketing now is like trigger marketing where they're trying to find outrage because they think that people arguing about something on Facebook and Twitter means there's more engagement, which means there must be more views and more sales at the end of the day. But yeah. if that's what they're doing. If you're hiring black actors to shove it in the face of so-called racists and say, see, we hired a black person. Like, aren't you mad? Aren't you mad? That's racist to me. <laughs> yeah, like, it's that's... not like shouting the N-word, but it's on the other side. Like, guys, what are you doing here? Like, I think that their intentions were probably noble, but I, I think we've crossed a weird line here. And yeah. fan baiting is this phenomenon that I don't, I can't wait for it to fizzle out because it's starting to be very, no, very noticeable what they're doing. And yeah. to get back to Red Hood, I didn't do that with uh, Gan at all. I did do that accidentally with Terry when mm -hmm. I said, oh, this is the first half Asian Robin, uh, sorry, half Asian uh, Batman. And I didn't do it thinking I was going to start a big argument. I did it. It just slipped out. It's not even a big deal. It's not really a part of the story at all, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but because I did that, people, uh, conservatives most likely, got their hackles up and they're like, oh, we're there's another woke thing out there. Let's jump on this. And a bunch of YouTube videos attacked me. Um, a lot of them didn't because I know I'm not really that guy. I'm not really out there trying to do a lot of woke stuff on the nose like some other people in comics. Um, so when it came to Gan, I didn't do anything. And we got almost no grievances out there. Right. Which I think it's really interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that is the stuff that they're actively doing, yeah, that's, that's not yeah. great. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, you can almost track it, man. It's, it's kind of scary, disturbing. And it's not just with Lord of the Rings. There's a couple other things they did, uh, which I think, um, Sandman, they tried it with. Like they're convinced by pissing people off and getting them talking about it that they're going to spend more money going to see the movie or the show, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But people in those mobs aren't always your audience. They're not spending money. Like they'll retreat the shit out of this. Well, At the, the end thing, of the day, they're not going to, you know. The thing I was wondering is if it, if it came down to marketing realizing that you know all the people that really hate this for all these reasons, they're still watching the show because they need to be able to bark about it. So we're yeah. going to get them either way. So. Yeah. But that's but, uh, fine. You know, in, in, there's a version of fan baiting that might actually lead to higher sales, for all I know. If you want to play some game theory, maybe this does work. But I don't think there's any evidence for it so far. In fact, I think it has the opposite effect because it just annoys people and they, sh they switch off before they even give something a chance, you know? Like, all those yeah. people that might love your Lord of the Rings might have been more open-minded to it because you, like planted these mines and you preemptively called them racists so now their hackles are up and are some of them assholes a hundred percent but you might have actually won some of them over with your product if you hadn't 
opened your mouth and said those things, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's a tough call only because I don't know the chicken and the egg of it all. Like, I don't know yeah. when, which one of those things starts first, if it is preemptive or if it is reactionary. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's probably someone out there who has yeah. metrics that could figure it out. But, like, yeah, yeah, it's, I think over across the board, it's just a dumb fight to have. Cause, like, yeah. why, why is this still something that anybody cares about in the year 2022? Yeah. You know? But, I mean, it, you could argue Disney did it with Star Wars, with um, the Asian character that, uh, oh, people don't like this because they don't like Asians or they don't like this character. They don't like uh, this, the, 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 the black antagonist, um, that's her name, from... Um, oh, and Obi-Wan? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> they, they purposely went out there and got ready for trolls like they almost created their own trolls in order well i mean part of their marketing plan it's like the guys, same these time, people though. love they love lando carizian like are you sure they're really racist i mean yeah at the, I don't sa- know. At the same time though yeah they were ready for it because they expected it to happen which it did whether or not right whether or not they set it off is up for debate but it's like right criticizing them for being ready for this i think is a little disingenuous because it's not like it's something that doesn't happen you know and it did happen and they had their responses ready for it because you know yeah just in just in case so when so you're right this is a question of is it the chicken or the egg it's a very good way to put it and with star wars you might argue oh they got this reaction even though they didn't lead with it they still got this reaction but Star Wars trans have been triggered for 15 years now, or maybe you could even argue 20 years back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, different set of. I mean, that's a whole other game. Whereas it comes to um, uh, the uh, Lord of the Rings stuff, you can see a trend where the marketing did plan this, and you look at all their the interviews they did. They went out of their way to mention the race thing, like they they were creating their trolls because they thought it would help get attention. Yeah, I way, don't know. You know. I I. I'm I'm so I'm I'm so unsure of that because like I can on the other yeah. hand I can understand why you would want to point out that you have a more inclusive cast because maybe there are people out there who aren't watching Lord of the Rings stuff because it's just a bunch of white people with pointy ears, you know. Right. So I can understand why if you're doing something different, why you want to lead with that. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know where the line is where it becomes. Yeah where it goes from we are trying to uh i mean yeah. regardless what it all comes down to is it's just marketing so it's like yeah. it's it's as cynical as you want it to be because all they're trying right. to do is sell a product that cost amazon a yeah. billion dollars and if it doesn't work they have said right. it might shut down prime in right. its entirety so yeah. i think you can be yeah. as cynical with it as you want um yeah but yeah i don't know it's just yeah. i it feels I, like i think honestly I feel like it's worse that if if this is baiting, I feel worse mm-hmm. that people are out there taking the bait because it's oh, yeah. just 100%. like I don't understand why it's still a thing. And if nobody took the bait, then they would. If this is what they're doing, they'd probably stop doing it. Right. Yeah. And I think pe- there's always going to be assholes out there and racists out there, and they would probably have their little comments to say about Lord of the Rings, but maybe those comments would have been at an eight. But because of the way you went about marketing, now they're all at eleven. And it's 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 worse now, and it's not helping the problem. If your goal is to normalize putting black people in Tolkien uh, movies, just do it, and don't pat yourself on the back about it. Just mm-hmm. put it in there, let the show be good, and let the cards fall where they are. I mean, that's the thing is like it's not normalized when you're drawing attention to it. 
But I know why you want to draw attention to it because you feel like, you know, Hollywood's been bad about inclusion and you want to try to make the effort. You want people to see they're making an effort. Like, I really do understand both sides on yeah. this one, you know. Yeah. I'm not siding with the racists at all, but I know that they are worse when you pick the hornet's nest like this, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel it's... like whoever has Lord of the Rings thought, they think that mostly white people watch Lord of the Rings and mostly a lot of nerdy neckbeards watch Lord of the Rings. And they thought not only by including black uh, actors in this, not only can we do the right thing, of course, but we can lead with this. And then maybe black people who haven't seen Lord of the Rings will start watching Lord of the Rings. That's probably a conversation they had in there. And I don't know if it's true or not. I know a lot of black people who love Lord of the Rings, the originals as well, you know, so it's, it's really fascinating, the game the game theory that's going on here. But I also think that what they're doing can make it worse sometimes, and they won't acknowledge it. They just see themselves as the victims. Like, oh, the trolls. I mean, we never would have thought they'd be so upset about this. It's like, well, when you did your marketing that way, it seems like you wanted them to get upset at you. Yeah. You thought that, you know, you sort of discovered this new way of marketing with um, Ghostbusters 2016. And you thought, oh, you know, these trolls have um, the ability to... Sp- spread information what if we trigger them and get them to spread information about our product and hopefully like i think that they thought that was a thing they could do but i'm not sure it's actually working yeah i mean i don't i don't disagree that there's probably that sort of strategy in there somewhere where it's like i mean it works what what you're doing is you are if that is what they're doing they're treating pop culture like politics where they're expecting that if Mm -hmm. we if the message is loud that there are a certain segment of people that hate it for one reason then that mm-hmm. is going to by proxy trigger the people who are anti that message to go out and support right. it which right. i don't think works as well as as yeah. in entertainment as it does probably in politics because mm-hmm. at the end of the day we're talking about elves and not like reproductive rights right. or <laughs> voting rights or, you know <laughs> or a black black little mermaids clay come on that's a big deal oh god that's the dumbest <laughs> The dumbest one of these I've ever seen is people getting upset over that. That is the stupidest shit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, yeah, we don't want to talk about this. Enough. But uh, yeah, man, is there anything else you need to talk about? Or No, I think that's it. I don't know when this is going to come out. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be out before New York Comic Con or after. But if before, come by and see us both at New York Comic Con. And if after, thanks for stopping by and saying hi at New York Comic Con. But, I uh, hope that one day people come up to you and start. Do you ever, people quote your podcast to you at shows yet? Dude, I had one guy in San Diego come up to me, and like he pointed at me two places down from the line, in line at, at our at our table, and he was yeah. like, "Rotten Horror Picture Show, I love your horror movie podcast, man." I was like, "What?" <laughs> I was, it was the That's first great. time. Like I've I've had badass people come by and say how much they like the show blah 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 i've had some star trek people he was the first rotten horror picture show fan i've met in the wild where he was like oh my god you and amanda so great i've watched so many movies and stuff and i was i actually said can you say all of that again for me on camera so i can send it to her (laughs) i remember this yeah we were sitting and signing together I, i remember that moment that was awesome yeah it was really cool i mean it was it was nice to meet someone who it kind of the reason that I wanted yeah. to do the show was was yeah. people like this, where it's like, yeah, they're interested, they want to see some stuff they haven't seen before, and hear people talk about it. So it was very yeah. very cool to, to to meet that guy, and hopefully, yeah. you know, hopefully more. I'm always happy to talk about the stupid stuff that I do. So, <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, cool. I think I think that's going to do it for us for this episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, we will be back next time with Joyride and Lost Soul. 